Repentance is not only a requirement of Christianity, but it is also a virtue. Acknowledging our sin and turning from it leads to blessing in our life. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes part of something much bigger than himself. And one thing you start to become aware of when Jesus saves you is how Christianity is presented to the world by the thousands of professing churches that are out there. You start to realize that there's a there's a, a presentation of Christianity by all these churches. And when you become a Christian, you start to care about how Jesus is presented to the world. And sadly, much of what claims to be Christian is far from it in this nation and in the world. And it is a challenging thing for the true follower of Jesus to tell unbelievers that so much of what they see out there is not actually Christianity. And as such, for many a true follower of Jesus over this past year, the response of the professing evangelical and even reformed church during this coronavirus has been one of the most discouraging and disheartening parts of the whole year. Dealing with government overreach, media-induced fear, and hysteria without end would have been bad enough. But the one place where Christians should have been able to find refuge from that spirit, from that mindset, from that worldview, was within the church. There, within the church, believers should have found a different spirit, a spirit of faith and trust and courage, a spirit of freedom and peace. Believers should have been able to point to the church, the called out ones, the faithful ones, and said to a watching world, behold, there is something otherworldly. There is something different from the world. Sadly, that wasn't the case for most churches in the United States and perhaps the world. Uncertainty, fear, cancellations of fellowship, mask requirements, and social distance regulations thrived in the church just as much as they did in the world. I've entitled this message, A COVID Apology to America on Behalf of the Evangelical Church. A COVID Apology to America on Behalf of the Evangelical Church. As you can imagine, it's not going to be a typical sermon. This is what I believe the professing evangelical and reformed church should say to America, to a watching world, to the unbelievers around us. And of course, she should not only say these things, but she should change her course accordingly. So here's the apology. The COVID apology to America on behalf of the evangelical church. And there's seven parts to this apology. America, we're sorry. We had a once in a lifetime, perhaps, opportunity to show you how different Christianity is from the world. And we failed. We failed. Years ago, Leonard Ravenhill said, the world out there is not waiting for a new definition of Christianity. It's waiting for a new demonstration of Christianity. It's not waiting for a new definition of Christianity, but a new demonstration. 
of Christianity. The COVID debacle of 2020 and 2021 was the perfect opportunity for us as the professing evangelical and reformed church to give you that new demonstration of Christianity. We could have shown you what it means to live free from fear. We could have shown you what it means to value spiritual things more than material things. We could have shown you that Christians are different. Instead, most evangelical churches acted just like the world. Our profession of faith made little difference in our lives. Our churches closed their doors just like the Lions Club and the Community Bingo Night. It's too late for us to change how we responded. It's too late for us now to change how we responded. But the least we can do is to say that we're sorry. And so, here's seven things we're sorry for, America. Number one, we're sorry we contradicted so much of what we had told you previously. Prior to the coronavirus, we told you that it was vital for Christians to gather together and fellowship. We preached about passages such as Hebrews 10:25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We told you about Christians throughout church history who were willing to meet despite the dangers of persecution, oppression, and even death. We held these men and women up as examples of faithfulness. And then, when the coronavirus struck us, we scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Forgive us. Forgive us. Prior to the coronavirus, we told you that living for Christ was worth more than anything this world could offer, including safety, health, and prosperity. We told you about Christians going back to the apostles who truly understood the gospel and were willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. We told you about missionaries and housewives, preachers and plowboys who were willing to die if they could only read the scripture with their brothers and sisters in Christ. We told you that obedience to Christ was not an optional part of discipleship, but the very essence of following Jesus. We told you all these things. And then, when it was going to cost us something to stand for Jesus against the world, we crumbled like a house of cards. Forgive us. Forgive us. Number two, we're sorry we perverted the glorious and beautiful blessing of Christian fellowship. We're sorry we perverted the glorious and beautiful blessing of Christian fellowship. We neglected the fellowship of the saints. For some of us, it didn't even take one week for us to cancel fellowship. We dressed it up with a lot of explanations and qualifications, but the bottom line is that we told everyone to stop meeting together as a church body, as a corporate body. We did not accurately demonstrate the doctrine of Christian fellowship. We made Christianity and the fellowship that is to occur there to look no different than a social club or a sports league willing to cancel gatherings on the word of a pagan tyrant. But even worse than abandoning Christian fellowship, perhaps, is that we perverted it. We encouraged you to think that Christians view online events as true gatherings or fellowship or even services. And this was all a gross perversion of what God intended 
for his people. We know that none of these things are fellowship, but we continue to act as if they were. And to our shame, when we finally found some courage to meet, or if we're honest, when we were finally allowed to meet by the state, we continue to enforce masks and distancing mandates. We showed that we really don't care if true fellowship occurs. True fellowship where believers can interact with one another, see each other's faces, and act as a family. We really only cared about continuing to present a facade of Christianity. Now, we had good motives and intentions, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Truth be told, we caved to the pressure. Our actions are a stain upon the true church's testimony concerning the doctrine of Christian fellowship and its importance in the life of the church. We're sorry we perverted that wonderful doctrine with our actions. Number three, we're sorry we conformed to the world. Christians are supposed to look different from the world. The fear that characterizes so much of our world, amplified to the extreme during the coronavirus, is unbecoming for a true church of Jesus Christ. We know that we have been charged to not be conformed to this world or this age in Romans 12:2. However, we found the temptation too strong and the potential cost too high for us to have our minds transformed during the coronavirus. Instead of standing as a city upon a hill, as a light for a lost, confused, and scared world, we acted just like everyone else. We acted just like the pagans of the second and third century who encouraged people to stay away from others. We conformed to the world. And we understand now if you view Christianity as simply a pie-in-the-sky religion that has no real practical consequences for life. We lived as, as if that were the case. And you might not believe anything we say now, and we can hardly blame you for that based on how we responded. But that's not true Christianity. We conformed to the world and acted like the world, not like a Christian church. We're sorry for conforming to the world. Number four, we are sorry that we made our faithful brothers and sisters, those churches that stood firm from the very beginning of the COVID lockdowns, we're sorry for making them look like the outliers. While most of the professing church conformed to the world's thinking, a faithful remnant of congregations did not soil their garments with the fear and paranoia of the world. These congregations are worthy of godly admiration. But even when we had these godly examples right before our very eyes, we made them look like the extremists. We told you that we were doing the loving thing by not allowing the church to meet together. We made it look like these true churches were unwise, unloving, and uncharitable. We made it look like those churches that actually followed God's word and honored the individual conscience were the foolish ones. We showed you that forcing congregants to wear masks and stay away from one another was a loving thing. We're sorry. We were wrong. We simply didn't have the courage or the backbone to take a stand. Part of us admired 
those churches that actually lived out the Christian faith. But we just felt much more comfortable in the safe place of conformity to the world. It was much easier to go along with the crowd than to stand firm for Christ. We preferred hearing, well done, good and faithful servant from our governor than from the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sorry. Number five. This sort of represents everything. We're sorry we misrepresented Christianity. We made it so painfully easy for you to misunderstand Christianity. We made it shamefully confusing as to what a true church really is. We made Christianity look like another version of worldliness and humanism. We did this because we based our decisions not on God's word, but on the shifting sands of the culture around us. We took the powerful, courage-inspiring message of Christianity, and like cowards, we hid it in the sand. We made physical safety and political correctness more important than the spiritual well-being of souls headed for an eternity in either heaven or hell. The message of the gospel is that your soul is of far greater value than anything in this life. And instead of faithfully proclaiming that message, we shamelessly peddled an insipid and effeminate version of Christianity. Friends, that is not what Christianity is. What you saw from the vast majority of professing churches was worldliness. And we're sorry we didn't have the strength to show you true Christianity. And so number six, building on that, we're sorry that we made Christianity look like a pansy religion that causes her adherents to be unwilling to face the consequences of faithfulness. We're sorry that we made Christianity look like a pansy religion that causes her followers or her adherents to be unwilling to face the consequences for faithfulness to Jesus. We had centuries Centuries of godly examples of faithfulness to God's word, despite serious consequences, and we simply ignored those examples. We made it seem like our situation with a virus with an incredibly low death rate was worse than anything that had come before. We pretended that our situation was so unprecedented that the worthy examples of church history could be admired but not emulated. We pretended the coronavirus was worse than the plague that occurred in Germany when Luther was unwilling to stop meeting with believers. We pretended it was worse than the Asiatic cholera in London when Spurgeon kept meeting with Christians. Our situation, of course, we told ourselves was different than anything else. We admit now that that was just an easy way for us to avoid the cost of discipleship. We have done a really good job of looking to church history for motivation, but we have done a really bad job of following in the footsteps of those who've gone before us. But even more than these examples of church history, we had God's precious word and the everlasting gospel in our possession. True Christianity causes people to be willing to suffer the consequences for faithfulness to Jesus. The true church is composed of those who are willing to suffer loss for the sake of Jesus. We read in Mark 9, to take up their cross, 
to follow after him. It is made up of those who love not their lives even unto death. Revelation 12, 11. True Christianity involves counting the cost of discipleship. Luke 14. The gospel message is a message which is so powerful and so beautiful and so moving that its followers will count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.8 We had all this. We knew all this. And we pretended like we still believed it. We pretended like we would still lay down our lives for Jesus if we had to. All the while, we were unwilling to even meet with fellow believers because we might get sick or fined. Sometimes it's a lot easier to say you die for Jesus than it is to actually live for him. Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And we presented Christianity to you as a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, suffers nothing, and is worth nothing. And we're sorry. That's not true Christianity. Christianity is not a pansy religion that causes followers to to crumble in the face of fear. The Spirit of God within believers gives them strength to stand firm for Christ. What you saw was not Christianity from us. And we're sorry. True Christianity costs something. And you will suffer, but it's worth everything. Number seven, we're sorry that even after a year of this, we continue to misrepresent what actually happened. Our our evangelical leaders continue to write and say things like this. Approximately one year ago, North America was hit with the COVID-19 pandemic. Its impact has been so devastating that we'll only know the full extent years from now. We lost the ability to worship corporately for a time. We keep saying things like that. And we're sorry to keep perpetuating this lie. We know it's not true. We didn't lose the ability to worship any more than first century Christians in Rome lost the ability to worship corporately because they could be thrown to the lions or burned alive as human torches. We didn't lose the ability to worship corporately any more than the 16th century separatists lost the ability to worship because the state forced them to attend state services. We're sorry we keep presenting it like this, but if we're honest, it's just that it's much easier for us to tell ourselves that this was beyond our control and we were forced to no longer follow God's command than it is for us to own it as our own sin and repent of it. It's easier for us to keep telling ourselves that we did the right thing and that we had no choice but to follow the government's mandate than it is for us to acknowledge and confess that we have sinned. Again, we're sorry. We continue to misrepresent not only the Christian doctrine of following Jesus and the fellowship of the saints, but also repentance. We had so many good things to say to you and to share about the gospel but we simply chose not to live them out. It wasn't forced upon us. 
we had the ability to continue to meet, but we chose to fall in line with the world. We presented Christianity as if it was no different than any other social club. And we do have now, we have no grounds now to critique those worldly churches that provided online services prior to the coronavirus. We have no grounds now to critique a shallow take-it-or-leave-it approach to true Christian fellowship. We have lost our right to do that when we compromised and capitulated to the world instead of standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ and his word. And furthermore, when we had the opportunity to repent and acknowledge that we were wrong, we sinned, we gave in, we continued to perpetuate the lie that we were forced to stop meeting. We had no choice instead of acknowledging our cowardice and fear. The message that we offered during the coronavirus was cheap. It cost us nothing. We didn't have to give up anything. It asked nothing of you. And it offered you nothing. It's painful to say it. But the world would have been better off without the vast majority of professing churches during the past year. She would have been better served by that small remnant of faithful churches who continued to meet from day one and who accurately represented Christianity and who believed in Jesus and were willing to face the consequences for that belief. All of the churches that failed to do so showed the world that they're more concerned with the consequences of their faith than they are with following Jesus no matter the cost. Jesus once warned his followers, well, he warned them multiple times about the scribes and Pharisees, but on one occasion he warned them and he gave them this counsel from Matthew 23. He said to his followers, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Matthew 23, 2 through 3. America, that's us. The leaders of the professing evangelical and reformed church are those scribes and Pharisees who preach but do not practice. By and large, we preached one thing for years. The inestimable worth of the gospel, the great value of following Jesus no matter the cost. We preached that. And then, when the rubber met the road, we did something else. And so please, America, unbelieving America, a watching world that looked as the church closed her doors like every other organization, please take Jesus' advice regarding the scribes and Pharisees and apply it to the professing evangelical and reformed church that capitulated during the coronavirus. Please don't do what we did. Please don't emulate us. We preached to you, but we didn't practice. We told you of the glorious gospel of Jesus and the infinite worth of faithfulness to Jesus, no matter the cost. And then we gave up and capitulated without even a fight. We listened to the voice of Fauci instead of the voice of the shepherd. Our church leaders acted beyond the authority granted them and told their congregants that one, they couldn't even gather as a corporate body, and then when they could, that they had to wear masks 
and stay six feet away from their brothers and sisters in Christ. America, unless you've had the privilege of seeing one of those true churches that stood on God's word, unwilling to cancel fellowship, unwilling to force our congregants to cover their faces and stay away from each other like pagans during a plague, unless you saw one of those true examples, then what you saw this past year was not Christianity. And we're sorry that we presented it as such to you. It was worldliness dressed up in Christian garb. True Christianity offers you something different than the world. But true Christianity will cost you, and there will be consequences. And what you saw from most of the professing church was a fearful and cowardly display of the fear of man and the love of this world. And if you are willing, please give the true church of Jesus Christ another look. And if the professing church, by and large, continues to act as she did without acknowledging her sin and admitting her fear, then please find a group of Christians that are willing to face the music for their faithfulness to Jesus, that are willing to stand on the word of God, whether it costs them their life, their job, a fine, imprisonment, Christians who will stand together and support one another, who will meet together, encourage one another, no matter what's going on in the world, who will take their marching orders from the Lord Jesus Christ, not from the government, not from the media, not even from their pastors if they contradict the word of God, who will look to the word of God and the word of God alone for their authority and will stand upon it. If you find a group of Christians like that who are living out the Christian faith, there you will find true Christianity. And we are sorry that what you saw for so much of this past year was presented to you as Christianity when it was really an insipid, effeminate worldliness that is worth nothing, costs nothing, and will give you no eternal benefit. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would grant the professing church in America repentance to acknowledge her sin when she has sinned and fallen short, that she would turn, that she would confess and forsake worldliness and fear and stand upon your word and your commandment to gather together and the gospel message that is worth more than life itself. May the true church arise and stand as a city upon a hill that the watching world would look and see something different and not look and see the same that they see everywhere else in the world. We pray for a reformation and revival in our day. We need one even more than we did 500 years ago. The Bible is available everywhere, Lord, but we're not applying it. I pray, Lord, for a reformation of the application of your law word, that the gospel will go forth and we would be faithful followers of Jesus, come hell or high water, that we would walk in your commandments and love you, and we would encourage one another to be strong, not to fear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.